Did you know that a newspaper reporter once wrote about Abraham Lincoln and said that he was a low, cunning clown? Another reporter referred to him and said that his ambitions are a clock that never runs down. And so they thought he was pretty much a, a, a foolish fella who just had a lot of personal ambition. They didn't think very highly of them. That's just a couple of references, and you can find a lot more. In his day, uh, certainly among his critics, Abraham Lincoln was not very well regarded. But now, of course, we acknowledge him as one of the greatest American presidents. So perceptions can change, but they're not always very positive. On the other hand... Adolf Hitler, when he was coming to power, he was referred to in a German newspaper as the savior of Germany. Of course, just the opposite actually turned out. Now, of course, we know that he was a psychopathic murderer. But again, what do people think? What do they think of you? What's their opinion of you? From these couple of examples, of course, we could reference a whole lot more. We see that public perceptions of people can be either good or bad, they can be true or false, they can be positive or negative, they can be helpful or hurtful. Public perceptions are what the public thinks. Now, what about the people of God? What's the public perception of the people of God? What about throughout all history? And what about today? How are the people of God perceived? We want to spend a few minutes tonight talking about these public perceptions that people might have of us and and how we fit into that bigger picture. So we're going to talk for a few minutes tonight about public perceptions. Stop here just briefly to thank you for, for being here on this cold Sunday night in Middle Tennessee. Several of us have been commenting today that it went from nice early fall weather to heart of winter weather just like overnight. Uh, here we are even still in the first half of November, and this feels more like January. Maybe it'll turn around again, but it's cold right now. We appreciate you for braving the elements and coming out tonight to be a part of this assembly. Thanks for your encouragement. To those who are visiting with us, thanks for coming. Come back whenever you can. What about public perceptions? Let me give you a, just a sampling, just some examples from the Scripture. And, and the ones that I'm going to mention are ones that you already know well. The first one comes from that reading that Garrett read for us earlier about Elijah. Elijah was viewed as he that troubleth Israel. Now, you know the background of this story, I think, very well. This was the time of King Ahab in Israel. And King Ahab was just an incredibly wicked, evil, horrible person and made even more so by his wife who was very much likely worse than he was, Jezebel. And so between Ahab and Jezebel, they were just bad, horrible people. And so it, it, the, the moral conditions in Israel were so bad that God's prophet at that time was Elijah. And Elijah prayed that it might not rain, and it rained not for three years and six months. You talk about a drought to end all droughts. If it didn't rain for, for three years and six months... Literally everything had dried up. I mean, all the sources of water were gone. Everything was dying. They were trying just to save a few of the animals. There was no water, literally no water. And, in, and, and while they were searching for water, they were 
Ahab also had instructions to search for Elijah. Uh, and, and so Elijah was found and Elijah comes to meet Ahab. And that's where we get that sort of famous expression. Ahab went to meet Elijah. It came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he, Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Balaam. You see here that the reality of the matter was that what Ahab said about Elijah, just exactly the opposite was true. It wasn't Elijah who had troubled Israel, but actually Ahab himself who had troubled Israel. But the perception that Ahab tried to give, and that maybe others... Because just following this meeting, of course, the the famous contest on Mount Carmel took place. And Elijah literally stood alone, not only against the 400 prophets of Baal, but also all the people of Israel. There wasn't a single individual who would stand up with him to oppose what Ahab was doing. Elijah was a man alone. And, And Ahab accused him, you're the one who's troubling Israel. Of course, it wasn't so. But that's the way Elijah was perceived by him and maybe by others, a false perception. But here we see a very faithful servant of God, and his public perception was not positive at all. Let's think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus often suffered from bad public perceptions. Obviously, we have more information about Jesus than anybody else, and we know that Jesus should have been held in highest esteem the the jesus was a perfect person that being the case everybody should have thought he was ultimately wonderful but of course that obviously was not the case so jesus stands as as the ultimate example of someone who should have been thought highly of but people said otherwise look at a few examples of some of the things said about jesus in john chapter 7 verse 12 There was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Now, some acknowledged him as a good man, but there were others who said, no, he's not a good man. He's leading people astray. In John 8, beginning verse 46, Jesus asked, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon. Now, there's a couple of insults thrown in there, if, if you consider it. The Jews, of course, despised the Samaritans, wouldn't have anything to do with Samaritans. There was a great ethnic divide between the Samaritans and the Jews. And that expression, you are a Samaritan, that's probably one of the lowest things that you could say to a Jew. And they said so purposefully. They were trying their best to insult him. You are a Samaritan. You have a demon. We're just giving examples of here is the kind of public perceptions that Jesus had. A perfect man. And people are talking to him like this. In John chapter 10, verse 19, a division occurred again among the Jews. Many of them were saying, he has a demon, he is insane. Why do you listen to him? In fact, it was so bad on that occasion that just a few verses later, verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. That's how bad the perceptions against Jesus were in John 6, beginning verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it. So stop there. Jesus had given some pretty hard instructions for people to follow. And when his disciples heard that, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to that? 
And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So, Jesus, if you're not going to tell us what we want to hear, and if you're not going to tell us things that are pleasing to us, if, you, if in fact, if you're going to come around here and make demands on us and teach us hard things, we're just not coming. We're not going to follow you anymore. And so he, uh, a good bit of the popularity that he had been enjoying up to that point in time was dissolved simply because people didn't like to hear the hard teachings of Jesus. It's really interesting that even after Jesus died, uh, he was still being reviled by men. Matthew 27, beginning verse 62, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore the sepulcher to be made sure until the third day. Now get this, Jesus of course was no deceiver at all. In fact, he was the absolute opposite of that. But this was the perception that the Jews were giving concerning Jesus. He's a deceiver. And so here again is our perfect Savior. And look at, at the negative things being said against him. All of that, and, and I, I think we could multiply the kind of passages that we've just referenced concerning Jesus. But all of that, I think you remember, was in fulfillment of prophecies that had been made about Jesus. Isaiah 53, we so often reference Isaiah 53. But you remember it, don't you? In verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Uh, so again, all of that concerning Jesus' negative public perceptions was in accordance with prophecies that had been made. But I, I just want to stress to you again, the public opinions of Jesus should have been ideal because he was a perfect individual. And yet even for a perfect person, the, the public was saying these kinds of insulting things about him. Let me give you one more example, and that of the Apostle Paul. Paul certainly had a, one of the worst public personas, if you will. I'll give you just a couple examples. In, in Acts 24, verse 5, when Paul was, had been arrested in Jerusalem, and that would ultimately lead to him being transported to Rome, and you know that story. It was said about Paul, we have found this man to be a real pest, and a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. I, I thought that was really... This is the New American Standard Version. Uh, he, this guy's a real pest. And, and this expression, he's a ringleader, I think that's uh, intentionally meant to convey a negative opinion of the guy. He's a ringleader. You know, he's a troublemaker. He's a ringleader of these, of these crazy Nazarenes. Uh, all of that is meant to... to defame him, obviously, uh, before the authorities. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, Paul knew some of the negative things that were being said about him, and he wrote about it. No, this, this is Paul writing this, but he's writing about what people were saying concerning him. His letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is contemptible. Now, Paul wrote that, but he wrote that acknowledging the negative things that were being said about him behind his back. Later in that same book, in chapter 11, verse 6, Paul said, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. No, Paul 
here may have been acknowledging that maybe his public oratorical skills weren't the best, uh, but he knew that people were criticizing him in that fashion. And so, uh, I, I just, here's just a few examples, and I'm going to tell you, you can certainly literally multiply the examples of good and faithful servants of God who had negative public perceptions. People would often speak of them badly. Uh, Jesus is certainly the, the, the top example of that, but other faithful servants of God as well. Now, having said that, then let's bring it home to us. We will frequently deal with negative opinions of the people in the world. So I think we see a trend here. Elijah, Jesus, Paul, there's certainly a trend. They're good, good men, and the public is saying bad things about them. What about us? Well, uh, wouldn't it be true that if we're being faithful to God, that the same sort of thing could and would happen to us? Jesus said that it would. Look in John 15, beginning verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Notice, the world, he he said to his disciples, the world hates you. But he said that's not to be... Uh, a, a surprising thing because a servant is not greater than his master. And, it, and that being the case, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus is saying, this is going to happen. Uh, it, it's really inevitable that it would happen. If they t- talked badly about me, Jesus said, what would you expect then that, that they would say about you? In the Sermon on the Mount, in the, in the introductory statements to the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, you remember we often refer to these as the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. There's a blessing that comes. Notice, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Really? You know, I don't like to be reviled. I don't like to be persecuted. I don't like it when people say evil things about me falsely. It's not even true what they're saying. But Jesus said there's a blessing that comes from that. And the blessing is that we're being faithful to God. And that faithfulness to God is provoking these negative reactions, the public perceptions, just as faithful people of God have always suffered those things in the past, we are in that same boat. In fact, Jesus said so. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. When I read that, I always like to think of it, Jesus sort of saying, listen, if and when it happens... You're in good company. If and when it happens, people say, when they say all manner of evil against you falsely, it's going to happen. And when it does happen, you're in good company. Because they did that same thing to the prophets which were before you. Think of all the great prophets. Uh, think of Jeremiah. Think of Elijah and Eli- uh, Elijah and uh, others. Uh, Daniel. 
Think of, think of all of them who suffered harsh persecutions, and you're in good company. If you endure those kind of things like they did, you are in good company. So, having said that then, what do we do? Well, I would argue, as we were, as we were just talking about, we should expect it. We should expect that this would happen. Uh, in, in the words that Jesus spoke, there's a, certainly a clear anticipation that what has always happened to God's faithful people will likely happen to us as well. And that being the case, we should not be surprised when it happens. We should expect it. It's coming. Jesus said that it would come. Could I argue with you for a minute that actually this is probably a pretty good self-test that we can apply to ourselves? If, if I am not being held in low esteem by the public, if if there are not negative things said against me as I'm trying to live faithfully for the Lord, if I'm not provoking that sort of reaction that Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If, if that's not happening, if, if, that sort of, if that sort of reality is not coming true in my life, could it be because I'm not too much different from the world? If it's not happening to me, like Jesus said that it was going to happen, maybe I'm too much like the world and there's, and there's no friction there. You know, The reason why the world speaks evil of faithful Christians is because there's a point of friction there and the world doesn't like it. And maybe if I'm not getting that kind of negative reaction or that bad public perception, maybe it's because I'm not enough different from the world to even draw that reaction. You see what I'm saying? So there's a potential self-test there that we've got to be honest enough to apply. If, if everybody just thinks that we're wonderful, and if we don't provoke any of this negative public perception, then very likely uh, we're not living up to the standard that we ought to be. So Jesus said to expect this. Notice what Peter said about this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you. So, if I was going to paraphrase this, and we've done this before, I would say that Peter says we've wasted enough time in our past living like the people of the world live. And then he mentions some of the things that worldly people do. And I would draw your special attention to this section because we've talked about this before. Excessive wine, revelings and banquetings, social drinking is included there. And so we, in our former lives, we lived that way and we did those kind of things and we don't anymore because we're serving the Lord. They think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot and they speak evil of you. Now think about that for a minute. Uh, do people think that you're strange? Do, do you get that reaction at all? When, when you speak out, for instance, against social drinking, you know, we're, we're, we're becoming an oddity in the religious world. I'm sad to say we're becoming an oddity even among some of our own brethren. When we speak out against social drinking and people think we're strange, well, Peter said they would. Peter said they're going to think you're strange. If people, if there are not some people who think you're strange, then you're, you're probably not towing the line that the Lord has drawn for us. 
They think it's strange. Peter says they're going to, they're going to think you're strange when you speak out against these things. They're going to speak evil of you. All right? All right? So expect it. Expect it. It's supposed to be that way. It's going to happen when we're taking a strong stand for the Lord. So expect it. Furthermore, do not be discouraged from being faithful to the Lord. This, of course, is what Satan wants, and this is a tool that he uses. So all these negative public perceptions, the goal of that would be to discourage us from faithfully serving the Lord. Uh, and, and Satan uses that tool very effectively. It's an attempt to get us to back down, to get us to compromise, uh, to get us to be more like the world so the world won't keep attacking us. I don't like, I don't like people to talk badly of me. I, I don't like people to think that I'm strange. I don't like people to think that I'm some kind of a kook or a fanatic. And so I'm going to tone it down. I'm going to compromise on some of these issues that, that cause people to attack me. I, do, I don't, I, I just want to, I, I want to get out of the, get off their radar screen, so to speak. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to sort of back down. Well, if, if that's our reaction, then Satan has won, right? Satan has won. When we face these kinds of negative public perceptions, we should not be discouraged from being faithful. Don't let that happen. First Peter 3.16, keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed. Here's faithful people. They're being slandered. They're being reviled. And, and he says... Put them to shame. Keep living faithfully. The Apostle Paul said that he was certainly a person who suffered in these things. He said, we are afflicted in this is 2 Corinthians 4, beginning verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. I'll tell you, if there was ever a person who could have caved in because he was getting all this negativity, I think the Apostle Paul would have been such a person. And just said, well, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm just going to have to back down here. He never did, even though he was suffering very harsh things in the service of the Lord. We need to do what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which does so easily, the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We're, we're surrounded by faithful people of God through the ages who have lived for God faithfully. And because they did so, they were treated badly. Uh, they were held in low esteem. They had a negative public perception Totally undeserved, but true nonetheless. Why would we think we, it would be any difference for us? Think of those people. Think of that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And then, of course, fix your eyes on Jesus, especially the author and perfecter of faith. So keep on keeping on. Uh, don't be discouraged from being faithful. And then I just want to add one more note to this. And that is that when we get treated this way, we should never seek personal vengeance in the matter. I think there's a strong temptation 
whenever we are unfairly criticized, uh, when people say bad things about us that are totally undeserved, I think there's a, there's a strong temptation to say, listen, that's just not right. Uh, that's not fair. That's not just. And then we want to lash out and try to get even maybe with the people who've treated us in this way. And the, and the fact of the matter, of course, is that we cannot. We, we have to stay faithful and we cannot seek to, to exercise personal vengeance in the matter. Notice the example of Jesus. Now, we said earlier that Jesus, in, in this particular manner, was totally treated wrong. Anytime anyone ever said anything bad about Jesus or criticized him in any fashion, oh, they were completely off base. But they did, of course. So what did Jesus do? How did he write? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. And I remember, of course, to be reviled is to be spoken of in a derogatory way, to run them down. When Jesus, when, when bad things were said about Jesus, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. He didn't lash out at the people who were saying this against him. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Uh, you want to talk about unfair and unjust. In the case of Jesus, it was, ex- it was exactly that. And yet Jesus didn't return it in like kind to the people who were treating him in that way. Our instruction, of course, in this matter is found in Romans chapter 12, beginning verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. I don't know about you, but I take that to be pretty hard instruction right there. Uh, you know, when your enemy hungers, feed him. And then when he's thirsty, give him to drink. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> You know, this guy has really been saying ugly things about me. He's treated me very terribly, and it's not been fair. It's not been right. Let him get his own water. Let him get his own food. No, Jesus said, you keep treating him right. You feed him. You give him something to drink. That's hard instruction, but it all goes to the fact that we're not not supposed to try to get even on our own. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Leave that in the hands of God. You just keep doing the right thing and don't seek vengeance. Well, public perceptions then. What about public perceptions? Sort of universally, we could say the faithful people of God all through the Bible had bad things said about them and they were treated in horrible ways. So it comes to, the, to our time. Uh, what, what's it going to be like in, for us? Jesus said, expect the same kind of treatment. Uh, and, and we should. Uh, and in fact, as we said earlier, if we're not getting some degree of that, then it, I believe that the potential may be that we are not living the kind of life that the Lord expects us to live because he said if we did, we would be treated in those ways. So think about it along those lines and realize that we're going to be victims of negative public perception like the people of God have been through all time. Thanks for your attention to what we've had to say. Hope it's helpful. Uh, We're living our lives in a a wicked world and therefore there's going to be these contentions between those who are trying to live righteously and those who don't care to. And we just have to, we have to be ready for it.
Thanks for your attention to what we've had to say. We're going to sing a song of invitation. As we sing this song, we'll be asking you to think about your life and your relationship with God and make sure it's right. If you're not a Christian yet, you certainly need to become one. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. We'd be glad to assist you. We'd be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to the Lord, maybe you realize that you haven't been living a, a life that's different from the world. And if that's the case, we beg you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.